ongoing drive for the perfect martini. <laughs> yeah. You should be thanked for this. It's, it's, yes. Somebody's got to do it, right? It's, yes. It's, it's well, I, you know, I do the work so you don't have to. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 3rd of February. I hope you've had a good week and you are well and you are staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm not a rock star, but I'm a three-time CMO and trusted marketing advisor. And with the help of my guests and chums, I share the marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com or on LinkedIn at rockstarcmo. And we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This week in the marketing studio... We did promise last week that we'd chat about RevOps, but Jeff Clark and I will be discussing a new B2B report from our chums at Meteor before I wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a thought about using your flaws as a strength in marketing. But first, we need to play the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, it's time for my weekly marketing therapy session with Jeff Clark, our resident strategy advisor, former Forrester Research Director in the Rockstar CMO Marketing Studio. Hello, Ian. How are you doing today? Come on in I'm... to our studio. <laughs> you see, you leave a pause. I always dive into that pause. <laughs> I'm doing all right, mate. So... How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm leaving pauses all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'll jump into them. <laughs> all right. So how are you doing this week, mate? Doing well. Um, as we you typically start with our little weather report, we have a mm-hmm. dull gray cold day here mm-hmm. in uh, New England. A little snow on the ground, um, and uh, but not the not the bright shiny place that uh, we're we're sort of we would like it to be. Let me put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, we've been the bright shiny place today. It's been bright blue sky, crisp and cold. Great for long walks, just the way that I like it. It's been it's been quite nice today. Cold, awesome. but still, you know, I like I pref- I much prefer it is winter. Sunshine. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right, so let's get cracking with this week's topic. Um, and uh, this week, uh, thanks to one of my chums over at Metia. Metia are actually for folks who don't know, they're a global marketing agency with offices in London, Seattle, Austin, and Singapore. And I like a full service marketing agency that I've worked with in the past. And I've got a couple of chums over there. And one of those chums, Benedict Hum, he sent me over a copy of their latest report, the B2B Marketing Trends Report, which I'll, of course, include a link to in the show notes. 
And this report, they bring it out every year. And every year I kind of comment about it and share it on the socials. It's really good. Um, And obviously features some people that I know. For example, Misha, who we'll talk about, Misha Tramp and Liz High. Both of them have been on the show before. And this report identifies eight trends that every CMO should consider um, when we're looking at our marketing roadmap. And so... There we are. We're doing a bit like what we did last week, where we're going to go through a trends report with this one by the Meteor Group. Um, so let's kick off with some highlights. Jeff, what say you, my friend? I well, I, I really um, I thank you for sending the report over because it was um, it was chock full of interesting stuff. And you know, Media does you know, I, I in my experience since I, I remember Liz and Misha from mm. our past lives is that, I mean, they're really good at getting insights on what's going on there out in the world, in the market from a variety of different types of sources. I mean, they were using social media monitoring and, you know, intelligence uh, before it was hot. Yeah. Um, and um, so I think that, that, you know, what I thought was interesting is that when you go through the eight trends, I mean, a number of them were, were like, well, sure, you know, generative AI will impact content creation. Influencer marketing is big. Blah, 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 blah. But there were, you know, there were three that um, that I thought were interesting because they were it, it, at least they they came across as kind of different mm-hmm. it, things that, you know, that when we go through the Forrester and Gartner and other, you know, analyst trends. Uh, things that you don't really see a lot. So um, I thought those are the ones that'd be interesting to pull out uh, and, uh, you know, give our listeners a taste of what uh, Metia has to say about them. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So which is the first one you've plucked out? Well, beha- the, the way they term it is behavioral science can help create long-lasting customer relationships. Mm-hmm. So this is from uh, from Misi Trump, who you introduced yeah. earlier. She's VP of Customer Experience Strategy and Insight. And she says... Customers increasingly demand messaging that aligns with their preferences and values with more calls for personalized messaging and a growing desire to engage with brands that align with their values and personality. Now, that that statement itself might not seem to be uh, something that we've talked about personalization a lot and it's, it's, it's value to the customer, but the idea of using behavioral science to understand, you know, mm-hmm. what are the the language in terms of like the vernacular, not necessarily just their, you know, like their native language, but what's language, their preferences, their needs. I mean, these are things that, that, you know, we talk about a lot, but um, the question is, you know, how do you develop that? You know, and uh, you know, she actually in the, in the report, you know, throws out a a lot of statistics, some of which she's pulled from other sources, like 84%. B2B buyers are likely to choose a vendor who clearly understands business objectives. I think the emphasis there is on clearly understands. Yeah. You know, 71% of consumers expect companies to deliver personalized interactions. That's probably not new. Uh, a high percentage get frustrated when that doesn't happen. So, so it gets in, you know, the idea is that, you know, how do you understand what's going to yeah. be relevant? What's going to be, what's going to help build trust? What's proactive? Uh, and when she digs into like, you know, I was, I was like, okay, behavioral science, I get it. I mean, I've heard, I've heard research from other companies that, that talk about the importance of this and, you know, what she gets into is, you know, it's a lot about what we talk about in our knowledge fundamental of our five F and fundamentals of marketing, mm-hmm. 
It's like you do do needs analysis research, do qualitative and quantitative research on who makes decisions, where do people go for information, what do they react to, what are they like, you know, what are the types of interactions that they like to do, virtual versus in person, mm-hmm. testing stuff. You know, I mean, she talks about testing nudges. Yeah, you know, which is yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, it's yeah. like it's like you know, what can you put out there that gets somebody to go, oh. Yeah. I think I like this company or I think I, I think I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. Um and uh and and so you know in in many respects a lot of the things that we talk about in knowledge is is it it is actually is behavioral science. You know mm-hmm. it's uh um and and not, sometimes you're relying on other people who are doing the science and sometimes you're doing it your, yourself. Yeah, no, I I think um you know I'm I'm hearing a lot more about behavioral science and I think that it, we've used you know, and, and obviously both of us have known Misha for God over a decade and she's always talked about this stuff and primarily in B2C but I think that it's super relevant in B2B right now is, isn't it and and I think that, that that's that's the slight difference I think right now and um, that, that moment has come I think and it was like the stuff we were talking about last week wasn't it it ties back into how we need to demonstrate empathy with their understand their needs uh, very early in the process right so anyway I, I mean I love a bit of Misha and as I mentioned I worked with her at SDO and Tezu um, and um, and I, I what I also liked about her point in the report and the one that I wanted to to bring out there was that she put it in context with AI so whilst you're absolutely right you know some of these um, eight things that Metia pulled out were not all you know they weren't all about fucking AI which everybody else is talking about <laughs> um, but um she was also talking about being um, authentic. And I think, to me, I think that um, that um, we aren't really um, trying to be authentic. Uh, so she's talking about being authentic with AI. And if you use behavioral science, then you can be authentic. But I think that what we're trying to be is relevant and consistent. is isn't just about being authentic, right? And I think that, um, as, as she says, she says, behavioral science ensures that the personalization facilitated by AI AI isn't just a technical exercise, but a means to authentically connect with customers. Behavioral science becomes the guiding force that humanizes AI-driven interactions, transforming data-driven insights into meaningful engagements, deeper relationships, right? A lot of wordy words there, but basically saying that you could, you know, you're going to use AI much better if you use a bit of behavioral science to drive it, I think was the basic element of what I got there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It took me a while. To no, and it, 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 it sounds, it sounds complicated, but I think yeah. when you kind of boil it down to the various steps that we know we may need to take as marketers to understand our audience, uh, it, it, you know, it, it does become a little bit more manageable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So what's your second point? Second point is, um, it's important to drive commercial growth with sustainability in mind. This is from Sean Donovan, VP of Global Accounts. He says, embracing sustainability is good for business that not only helps mitigate risks, but also fosters innovation, attracts conscientious customers, and secures financial investment. So the thing about this, and you know, we've talked about sustainability and its role in marketing. We've talked about, you know, the the uh, the demon of greenwashing and uh and what what you know, what Sean seems to be pulling out is that there's there's a bit of a transformation going on is that 
they see people, they see companies, you know, and, and the BV buyers and the conversations they're having. Actually, as I said, we investigated 13 million B2B digital conversations on this topic. And they see the shift away from greenwashing to establishing a much firmer, robust commitment to sustainability. And um, so I think, you know, it's like socially people around the world are understanding, mm. you know, this, the importance of this. And, and you know, buyers do want to know it. The, I think the challenge becomes for marketers is how do you tie that sustainability into the buyer needs, preferences, and motivations, kind of like we talked about in behavioral science. You know, it, it can't be a side story. It, it can't be purely it's like, you know, we have, we have the product and service you need. And by the way, all of our servers run on, you know, a solar farm. It, 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 you got to tie it in much tighter than that. So you got to define what does sustainability mean for your buyer? You know, what does it actually mean for your company? How do you articulate an offering that meets sustainable needs of the customer? If that's actually part of their, their needs, their preferences. Um, And then how do you measure the sustainability goals, whether it's the, the goals that the customer will have by purchasing the product or whether you're, it's, you know, your own particular goals and you're kind of mirroring, their concerns. Certainly, you know, companies or I should say B2B buyers want to buy from companies that kind of reflect uh, values that they have. So, so you know, the value of, of sustainability could be part of the conversation, but I'm stressing tying it more into the, uh, the, the un- your understanding of the buyer's needs and where that fits in the needs. And, you know, in some cases it may not fit in but as this becomes a greater and greater issue, uh, chances are it will become more and more part of your messaging. <laughs> it's a lot there, Jeff. <laughs> a lot more than a lot more than was in the notes. Um, yeah, really. So, um, I didn't pause to let you no, <laughs> chime in. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I mean, I I agree when when I when I looked at this, and um, so I agree with the view, obviously, that of the shift in greenwashing to more sustainability and being it's that it's that authentic word again, which I I I I think that authentic should actually mean being relevant and consistent because I don't think any of us are really authentic. We're not, you know, <laughs> we're 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 running a business. Right? We're not being our authentic selves, but it's about being relevant and being consistent. Um, but I, um, and and I, but I also think there's something in here about the authenticity of this turning into things like accreditations. You know, like we have ISO standards and that kind of stuff. So yep. I, I, so I can see us moving to a point where an organisation needs to prove their sustainability, and it may become, you know, if you're doing a government proposal or something like that it becomes a trademark for doing that. But I did think this was a slightly weaker point in the report, and I know that. We, might end up debating this um about how helpful this is for the b2b buyer because um i think it's limited to specific vendors and buyers and particular situations i don't think it's something everybody needs to jump onto right i don't think every vendor needs to consider this because i'd worry about all the investment we put into marketing our sustainability credentials could be spent on something that's actually genuinely useful for the buyer if then if our buyer isn't that turned on by this right so if we're selling to a cause-based business or a buyer with these values they probably get their fix of that content from other sources so why are we telling them the cause-based stuff and the and the, the talking about principles 
we should be telling them about how to run their business and how we help them run their business and how we help them with their marketing or whatever it is that with the gig that we're into right so so i think there's an interesting thing and it was, it was quite deep about this sustainability stuff but i, I was thinking that maybe uh, I, I don't I mean you might just slightly disagree with this but what do you think of that jeff do you think that maybe we need to be cautious about leaning in too far into sustainability marketing our sustainability well again you, it, it's it's got to be relevant to the buyer mm. which i think is ex- exactly what you were just saying and so if if i'm selling um i don't know uh I'm trying to think of a of a something off the top of my head you know it's like if i'm selling some you know fairly generic uh commodity that is not particularly you know fossil fuel intensive then sustainability is probably not you know an mm. issue if I'm selling something that that is helping make a company more efficient, use you know uh, less wasteful in terms of maybe physical or labor or other outputs, or is is based on um, uh, you know certain principles like you mentioned things like an ISO standard. So sometimes ISO standards are are good because it's like if I've if I you know have passed the standards. If I'm an ESG company, if I'm a da 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 da, you know, those are just those are like the good housing keep good housekeeping seal of approval. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, this must be a well well run company. So so you really have to figure out, you know, again, is this part of uh, going back to our behavioral analysis? Is this part of something that is in the mind of the customer? Mm. If it's not, then you know, <laughs> then don't worry about it, except for its own sake. And if it is, then be sure how you weave that in to your story about uh, you know what your your how you're addressing the needs of the customer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's sustainability clearly something. Um, there's there's a lot to be said on that. Um, so the my second pick would be uh, from Liz High. So so Liz High works with Misha over at Ametia, and um, it's not also because she's a chum and she's been on the show that's not why I'm picking her but she outlines a five-step plan for b2b influencer marketing which I thought um was was uh, it's hard to tie into the last point which I tried to do but I'd recommend folks take a look at that because I think that in b2b you know influence we've we've been previously very good as an as a marketing industry in practice uh, in b2b of of um, influence marketing because we've always had to do analyst relations that kind of stuff but she had some good stats in that too which sort of just ties back to what we were discussing last week in the importance of influencers in that early process before they get to know us um, and we need to get into that conversation to buy earlier so I would I would suggest people take a look at that so on to your third one Jeff my number three is partner marketing is critical to establishing more meaningful connections with customers so David Brooks, who's the chief customer office, says in recent years, sales departments have not seen their headcounts and levels of investment return to pre-pandemic levels. Buyer preferences are also shifting to technology partners that offer more value through a greater understanding of the solutions available to them from outside their core partner ecosystem. So, and I and that's a long sentence, but you know, buyers, you know, buyers are often relying more on the person they have the direct connection with you know mm-hmm. uh, the vendor connection with who may be connected to you know uh you know they're pro- providing products and services from a whole host of companies he's in this one 
as as I go through their discussion, it is mostly focused on technology, which which obviously is a very you know rich an area that's rich in partner connections in terms of mm. big vendors, you know, like Dell's and IBM's and SAP's working with system integrators and distributors and uh, consultants and things like that. But as as I remember of my work in many companies, most of which had a partner channel, is that you know over seventy percent of businesses. Um, on the vendor side, work through an indirect channel. You know, mm. as I said, distributors, ISV, consultants, system integrators, and they're the one that has the closest relationship. So, you know, you you really have to understand because so often, uh, particularly on this show, but so often in marketing in general, you know, we really talk about things as if we have that direct relationship to the customer. And and as it <laughs> shows here, the stats say, well, many times we actually do not. So you have to, the challenge is that how does my messaging play a role in defining the messaging that the partner is going to use? How can I train partners to become more well-rounded and essential consultants? You know, how can I make sure that they're telling the story that I would, and oftentimes I as the larger vendor may have the access to the resources to be able to do the behavioral science, to do all the things we were talking about, you know, at the, at the beginning of this discussion so how can I translate that as information, content, assets, again, training, you know, through to my partner community so they can act like, you know, like, like you know, they have the knowledge of the customer. I mean, they have the relationship, but do they have the deeper knowledge that can help win the business over with the customer? And in the, um, you know, company I've been working with for the last three years, they, you know, they had relationships with like Kaseya, Dell, ConnectWise, other, you know, reasonably large uh, uh, Nutanix. And many of those companies did an ex- excellent job at providing content, training, uh, campaigns even, you know, social posts, all these kinds of things that really helped my client uh, communicate, you know, uh, the, our understanding of the needs of the customer. Uh, and largely because with small companies, you don't have the resources to put a lot of that <laughs> stuff together. So it was extremely helpful. And, and I think that's why, um, that's why this third one is, is a really important trend, uh, to, uh, you know, to dig into and to make sure you understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, the part of channel has always been underrated. I think since my, I mean, when I was a vignette at the turn of the millennium, I know some really good partner people, even from back then. And it, and it, and again, I think with a lot of these findings, and maybe we're just attracted to to these particular ones because of the conversation we had last week, and this sort of idea that the funnel has changed, um, is that the buyer is doing a lot of their own research before they contact contact the vendor, and who's right there beside them while they're doing that research? It's their existing partners, it's their it's their uh, consulting partners, it's the people that are already in there doing the work, right? And they're likely to turn to them and say what do you think of this thing that I'm thinking of doing? And so I think that that leveraging that trusted relationship that your buyer has inside your channel is really important uh, because they're doing that work. And I think as well in the, in the uh, Meteor report, they talk about this sort of commercial extension of the sales team, which I think is absolutely right. Absolutely right. right. The, the, which, yeah. they, which they share. And I think that you're absolutely right there, which is that I think some vendors kind of keep all the good stuff to themselves, don't they? And they don't think of the um, the the partner salesperson as a first class 
salesperson as they would their own salespeople, do you know what I mean, that need to be enabled in exactly the same way and need to have all this stuff made easy for them in their marketing. And I know the other challenge is that sometimes the small provider, you know, that has the close relationship with the customer, they don't always trust the big vendor because, unfortunately, some big vendors have had a habit of stealing content or uh, contacts away and then going direct and it's like, uh, you know, oh, that's a whole another th- podcast. Yeah, I mean, and that, that is another podcast yeah. because yeah, yeah. because it's important to make sure that the the three way relationship yeah. is uh, is maintained well, and there's trust among all three: the customer, the the distributor, or the ISV, or whatever, and then the larger uh, vendor. Well, it's, it's funny because when you mentioned the word trust, there, I was thinking that what the point you were going to make was that actually the buyer may trust the partner more than they would trust the vendor anyway, right? So you're going to need the partner to be on side to give you that credibility and trust for them to move forward with you as a vendor anyway, right? So, um, you know, and it it might be that they'll be like, well, if you say they're okay, then I'm in, right? Otherwise, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure about these guys, right? So I class class partners in the channel in the same way as you would influencers and analysts, you know, you've got to brief them, You've got to make sure that they know all the good stuff, make sure that they know what you're up to, make sure what direction you're going in so they can support that stuff when it comes to the but, and it, but sometimes it's so hard because, you know, each each of the, like if you think of the ecosystem and the vendor has all of these, you know, these relationships mm. in the ecosystem and it's like, and they're, they have their own salespeople. So you not yeah. only need to get to the, the people that run those smaller companies, but you need to get to their sales force. And uh, yeah. that's a big, that's a big, uh, big lift. Well, also, I mean, I don't want to cast uh, a shade on our sales cousins, but we all like an easier life, right? So if you can make it easier for the sales guy to sell either through your sort of the, the um, air cover you provide through your brand or by get feeding them the materials and the good stuff and the, and and the lines they need to use and the emails they need to write, then you're going to have more success, aren't you, from that? I don't think you're casting shade. You're empathizing <laughs> with that. <laughs> what a hard job it is to be a salesperson, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so that's just a couple of things we plucked out of this. And I'll obviously share a link to the report. A link, there is a link on their homepage. It is gated, sadly. I know that last week we were triumphing. Tisk yeah. tisk. Tisk tisk. But I think I can personally <laughs> vouch for these guys. So I know personally at least three or four people that were actually mentioned in the report, and I also know the CEO. So um, they are nice guys, and they will uh, look after your details in a good way. The report can be found at the Meteor website, info.meteor.com forward slash Meteor dash 2024 dash trends dash report or what will be much easier just go to rockstarcmo.com have a look at show notes and I'll include a link there um, and there are eight conclude there are eight conclusions and predictions in that report and they're, they're pretty good so take a look um, so that's that's our discussion another report this week uh, Jeff and um, how do we conclude with this one from a song perspective? That's the next item on our agenda. Well, you know, we, we have to do the Venn diagram of what kind of fits the topic, <laughs> you know. So we're talking trends, fashions, yeah. what's hip, what's this, what's that. And then, and then you know, rock, rock icons. Um, <laughs> so, so that's where the David Bowie and the song Fashion from 1980 mm-hmm. kind of like came together in that, in that Venn diagram. It's a. I mean, his his tune is a little bit of a satirical look at fashion, but mm-hmm. I think these trends uh, are more than just the fashion of the day. They're the they're the fashion for the the near to midterm. Certainly, I like that. 
I like that. I like that. And I'm never going to say no to playing Fashion by David Bowie. Absolute classic. So we'll play out with Fashion from David Bowie. And more importantly, no, not more importantly, fairly importantly. Just as importantly. Just as importantly. <laughs> will we be talking about anything interesting next week? Yes. <laughs> yes. Will you be in the studio next week? Yes. Jolly good. And uh, and what uh, if we agree? Well, yeah, we're going to talk about educate, uh, using We're going to talk about education as kind of a marketing tactic or strategy, yeah. however you want to phrase yeah. that. But the importance of it, and we've talked about the importance of it, but let's talk about it as yeah. how you can be successful using it as a marketing tool. Jolly good. Well, I hope, that, I hope the listeners got some education from this, and I shall see you <laughs> next week, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good see time. You. See you. Cheers, buddy. And that was, of course, a tiny bit of fashion from David Bowie. And thanks again to our chums at Metia for the splendid report. I'll include a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join the chief troublemaker at the content advisory, Robert Rose, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Vivian <laughs> Robert, what are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. What, what the heck is going on in here? <laughs> what? It is... What? You have turned this place into a farm. There, I, I see chickens, horses, cattle. Are, are, I don't know if you're doing this for food or for or for a ranching or for. But it is just a full-on farm in this bar. I mean, I'm very proud of you for repurposing it. But wow, yes. it the smell is something else. I mean, it's just, it is. It's fascinating here. Um, indeed. I don't know what to tell you, mate. It was just, uh, it, it was it was a whim. I thought, you know, what's the most avant-garde bars these days? Well, they're farm bars, right? Yeah, so that's everybody's true. Everybody's doing them, all the cool the kids. The farm so bar, that is, that, is, that is true. <laughs> that is true. The farm bar is really hot. That is, that is, that is really hot. Starting a yeah. trend. It, it right, is, well, and it's really, the, it's really that, you know, that sort of, uh, uh, what is it, the... The sort of, you know, taste that uh, that sort of you know smell taste of the farm that really adds that ambiance that you that makes a farm bar really. Um, well, I got to tell you, the burgers are fresh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, very good. Good. I like that. Um, so, so uh, what are we drinking today? We have a wonderful drink. And so, very much like last week, we're going to go fancy again. Fancy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've I've been experimenting with different mm-hmm. types of martinis, um, and of course, um, I am love to 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 experiment with different gins and different vermouths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and different kinds of ingredients in a martini. And this one, um, this one is not one that I've invented, but I did find it and I found it fascinating. And it's called the Milady uh, Martini. Um, and uh, hello, Milady. Yes. Um, and it's uh, Milady's <laughs> Martini. And, and it's, uh, it, it's a little different. It's gin, of course, uh, because mm-hmm. it isn't, in my 
in my humble opinion, it's not a martini if it's not gin, but you know, I know some people are all into the vodka, but it is gin. That's it starts with mean. gin. Mm -hmm. And then we have a rosé vermouth. So there are plenty of them out there, but if you can find a nice rosé mm -hmm. vermouth, um, and then, uh, it, do, so, and this is what actually, this was actually the ingredient that, that turned me on to this because my parents, uh, used to be into Tio Pepe, right? Oh, the yeah. sherry. Yeah. Um, and so they would come you know, my dad would come home from work and he would have a Tio Pepe. Um, he loved the Tio Pepe's. <laughs> and so I was like, oh yeah, I remember that with my dad. So I, I was looking for drinks with Tio Pepe and I found this one, right? So there's gin, your rosé vermouth. So two parts gin, one part vermouth, one part, uh, Tio Pepe sherry, mm -hmm. and then a very small quarter part. Um, just a splash, really, if you're only making one drink, um, Amaro Santoni, uh, so that, so one of your favorite Amaros, mm -hmm. um, and then of course an olive, if you need mm -hmm. an olive in your, in your martini. Oof. And then of course, like a classic martini, a lemon peel, uh, which might be expressed and, and then, um, uh, you know, slid around the glass and all of that to get there. So you combine all of this into, uh, basically, you know, shake it all up and put it into, a carafe and what we've done here at the bar for that our farm bar here <laughs> is we've put it into a little carafe the drink and then put it into the freezer put it Ooh. into the freezer for a couple of yeah. hours yeah. um and that gets it like just ice cold of course yeah. um and then you pour that into a chilled glass and put your olive in there and you have yourself a milady martini which was a beautiful it ends up being a beautiful color by the way so there you go yeah i love it and i love the work you do just for the rest of us you know these experiments this ongoing drive for the perfect martini <laughs> yeah. you should be yeah. thanked for this it's, it's, yes. somebody's got to do it right it's, yes it's, it's well i you know i do the work so you don't have to it is it is arduous work i will tell you but and yes. where shall we be taking these miladies <laughs> um i think if it doesn't it feel french doesn't it feel like it sh we should be in france for this <laughs> yes. um and specifically the france. south of france it feels mm -hmm. like it feels like that we should be in the south of france somewhere on um you know i'm i'm always partial to the coast but um you know maybe con maybe maybe around con i'm not that familiar with that part of france um mm -hmm. but um uh somewhere small in a cafe yes. having these milady martinis sunny day um south of france sounds like a good place to be yes and I also know me lady would love to be taken to the South of France. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when we're done, I'll have to bring her. But yes, yeah, so what's so and then we're the, the South of France, the sun is shining, we're drinking these miladies, and the topic turns to marketing. What are we talking about this week? Robert? Well, we're gonna talk about our flaws as a brand. Oh dear. <laughs> and yeah, it's and and why a flaw is really our strength, especially, you know, I mean, especially as we move into 2024 and brands and leaning into our brand, the humanness of our brand, mm -hmm. you know, with generative AI and everything that's going on, the way that we're going to lean into uh, our brand as a human driven and why the flaws are such an important part of that and how that fits into our messaging. And so we're, we, it's not a question of if, it's always a question of when our brand is going to 
<laughs> not do something the right way, right? Where we're either going to yes. behave badly as a brand or where we're going to make an earnest or honest mistake and people are going to be, you know, upset mm-hmm. with us. Um, you know, you can see Elon Musk, of course, arguably been purposely <laughs> acting out on the brand of <laughs> Twitter, which is now X, of course. Bud Light had their famous brand challenge last yeah. year with a, you know, call it honest or earnest mistake of trying to go out uh, without really thinking about it. Um, even OpenAI, OpenAI last year, right, had a bit of a mm-hmm. brand hit when they had their whole drama behind Sam Altman and the CEO and all those kinds of things. But the thing is, we're never going to avoid those things, independent of who we are, because guess what? Brands are made up of people, and people make mm-hmm. mistakes, and people do bad things, and every one of our brands will falter at some point. Now, the interesting thing here is, is that as humans, there's a really interesting cognitive bias and attribution that error that we that we make, which is we're always really clear about the intentions behind any of our actions, whether whether or not it's, you know, mm-hmm. for ill or for honest and we make a mistake, but our intentions are always really clear to us. Um, and but they're not to others, right? So when we look at others, we always ascribe some level of malice to it, right? And so the interesting thing is, is that our, we know this inherently with people. And so our guilt uh, over doing something mistakenly, or if in, in many cases where we do it purposely, we can double down on the response on, on some sort of, you know, pushback that we get or, you know, and so the classic example of this is, you know, you accidentally cut off a car in traffic. And then that person roars up beside you and flips you the bird and is screaming at us from inside the car. And you don't apologize. Your immediate reaction is to double down and flip them the bird back and go, shut up. I didn't do it on purpose. And, you know, you get <laughs> mad at them, right? Yeah. And so as an, you know, and a business side of the example of that is, you know, we know we've been working super hard on that email campaign mm-hmm. for customer enablement and we've been working really hard. And then somebody sends it out prematurely with a big typo or a big mistake or one of the personalization fields didn't get filled in. And then we get called out on it on social media. And the immediate reaction is to sometimes react really badly and further inflaming the thing. The Bud Light example is a perfect example of this, right? Their biggest brand mistake wasn't in doing the LGBTQ campaign that they did. It was the response that they had to doing the LGBTQ and the pushback that they got. So the thing is, when things go wrong, we're very likely to blame the situation and remind ourselves of our intentions, whatever they were. Um, But what they need to, what, what we need to be able to plan for and think through is a much more cohesive and 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 basically really coordinated response. In other words, we need to know that we're going to make these mistakes and we need to have messaging and a story and a conscious desire to want to respond in the right way. Right? We all know that every every great hero, every great brand, every great hero has a dark side, right? Luke Skywalker has a dark side. Mm-hmm. Barbie lacks self-awareness in some cases. George Bailey, even, from It's a Wonderful Life. He's a perfect father and brother, but he's got self-worth issues. So we all know that great brands and great heroes from stories, they all have flaws. So we need to know what ours are. Yeah. You know, a great example of this might be we're going to come out strong 
for, uh, you know, for example, I, I worked with one company, they were, um, uh, you know, they're a, a consulting firm, global consulting firm. And they're with their brand, they're coming out st- with a strong opinion about cloud computing and what they want to do with cloud computing and all that kind of stuff. And the real flaw though, is they themselves don't really do a lot of cloud computing. And so they're very aware of that. Now that doesn't just because they don't have the, you know, they haven't lived up to the dream yet. doesn't mean they can't Mm -hmm. espouse themselves as the dream. The key of all of this is getting to what we've talked about on this show before in terms of brand and storytelling, which we call a, a point of view messaging architecture, yes, which is understanding what the brand believes and where its flaws are as part of our message, consistent storytelling, consistent messaging, et cetera. It's an internal messaging architecture. Um, but for example, when we worked with that global consulting firm and their point of view architecture, basically they knew that they weren't living up to that dream. They knew that they might get called out on it. It's not that they're going to proactively go, by the way, we're not living up to the dream, Mm -hmm. but they basically knew that they might get called out on it. And so they had a consistent and cohesive message aligned response if it were to happen. And so now they can admit that they're flawed, admit Mm -hmm. that they're, you know, that they're working on it and, and have a response that is going to be not flipping them the bird if they get called out on it. (laughs) And so, as marketers, as the storytellers yeah. in the business, it is our purview to look at our flawed brand character, understand what they are, and recognize them that they can be strengths, that these can mm-hmm. be strengths as we tell our story because they are more human. They do set us up to be heroes, and we can tell a much more powerful story if we say we're part of the journey with our customers. So that's, yeah. the, that's the real key. Yeah, and I like this. And also, I think it's beyond those mistakes as well, isn't it? I mean, the the problem I think a lot of, I mean, <clears throat> both of us tend to work in B2B, a lot of um, B2B uh, organizations have very undifferentiated messaging, partially because they're all trying to tick all the same boxes, right? Whereas for the buyer, they want to see those flaws. They want to see what's good, what's bad about each of the vendors they make a choice. Yeah, and, that's right. And that's right. Well, and, and, and yeah. I would say... Mm-hmm. We spend so much time in brand messaging talking about the idealized, yeah, right, the idealized yeah, yeah. nature, yeah, and never talking about anything that's conflicting or yeah. our own weaknesses or our own ability or inability to do certain things or our own maturity level when it comes to whatever it is we're going out with, yeah. and what ends up happening is we end up making two, one of two mistakes. The first mistake is we go, we can't live up to that. So therefore let's not do it. Mm-hmm. So therefore we come across as boring or behind mm-hmm. the times or whatever, simply because we just don't want to deal with the pushback against that. Mm-hmm. Right. Or two, we go out with it sort of Pollyanna or sort of naively sort of saying, yeah, this is our dream and we're living the mm-hmm. idealized. La, 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 la. And we never recognize that until we get called out for it. And then we get yeah. caught with our pants down, right? Yeah, that, yeah. Like Bud Light did, right? Yeah. In other words, they didn't take the time to understand as a marketing and a messaging and a strategy to say, somebody is going to call us out on this because yes. we don't, we're not perfect here. Yeah. And so what's going to happen when that happens? And we need to agree as a business how we are going to respond or quite honestly, not respond. One of my favorite examples of this <laughs> yeah. is Sesame Street. Yeah. So Sesame Street, during the exact same time that Bud Light 
went out with their brand of the LGBTQ community did the exact same thing. Right, they had the Sesame Street characters celebrating gay pride, and they had the Sesame Street characters with the gay flag, and and all sorts of things. Right, mm-hmm. and they got called out on it, yeah. and basically, you could see by their non-response and their responses that they had figured this out. They yeah. knew that that was coming. They knew that that was going to be one of the results, and they were completely aligned and cohesive in their response. Nobody threw anybody under the bus. Nobody got mad. Nobody responded in an irresponsible way. They just where they were, you know, where the, the they could suck oxygen out of the room of the messaging. In other words, not responding. They didn't respond and where they needed to respond. They basically said, no, no, we got, we, this is what we are. This is what yeah. we are. If you don't like it yeah. too bad. Yeah. yeah. And also, I think, um, and I know that, uh, you know, I'm keep trying to bring this down to the more, more sort of dollar sort of B2B marketing, but I think that um, the, the, this kind of thing and exposing your flaws, being honest about who you are and what, you are, you, what you're not, um, actually builds trust. And, com- and I think that that trust, it's like being a consultant. And once a client trusts you, they'll ask you to do things maybe you're not as qualified to do as another consultant. But because they trust you and you've admitted your flaws, they still want you, your help, right? And it's the same with any sort of B2B transaction. That trust is huge, isn't it? And, and you get that trust through, through sharing these problems, don't that's you? Exactly right. yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, splendid. All right, so if we're looking for flaws in uh, somebody's web presence... <laughs> oh, dear. Boy, this is a tenuous one. Okay, yeah, keep going. Yeah, they, they're getting worse. I'm sorry, mate. I'm going to have yeah, to start yeah. preparing better. Um, although, in my defense, I never know what you're going to talk about, so I have to think of the segue on, on the fly. So um, <laughs> where, where, where might people find other, other content just like this that's unflawed? <laughs> <laughs> You'll find it at our ever-evolving website contentadvisory.net splendid and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you my friend uh you'll find me mostly on linkedin these days and would love to connect with everybody there of course excellent and for my selfish in-person enjoyment will you be in the bar next week of course i will i look forward hopefully to you, hopefully with a little less um <laughs> scent uh scent ambiance yeah it's gonna take me all weekend to clean this out i think yeah yeah <laughs> thanks then i'll speak to you next week Cheers. thank you robert and if you're new to the show i have no idea what robert will spring on me as the theme for the bar so there you have it this week floors on a farm so that's a wrap on episode 203 of the rockstar cmo effing marketing podcast i've been your host in Scott. thanks to jeff and robert for sharing their insight you can find links to us our work and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com along with our blog newsletter and all of our previous episodes and thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I'd love to hear from you. So please say hello or drop us a rating or review at your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will be chatting about education and your content marketing. And Robert will be back in the virtual bar with a fresh marketing thought. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.